0: Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. Before we jump in today, I want to tell you about my self coaching course, which will help working moms in high stress jobs overcome self doubt, rumination, and worry so that you can finally enjoy your career feel confident, and find balance. I created this course about a year ago now and it has helped so many women who are trying so hard to be good at their jobs and to be the best mom they can be and are just struggling um, because they think that they're not good enough at either job. And the best thing about this course is that it's totally self-paced. The videos are short and sweet And there's tons of activities to go along with, and you can pick and choose the ones that are going to help you the most for where you're struggling right now. You will get lifetime access to the course, including any updates or anything I add in the future, and the ability to email me for email coaching for the first 30 days of your subscription. You will learn simple, actionable solutions for overcoming self doubt. You will develop genuine and lasting confidence no matter what happens at work or how crazy your kids behave in public. And you will gain the skills to leave work at work so you can feel balanced and stop dreading your work days. So check that course out at KristenYatesdo.com forward slash courts. Let's jump into today's episode. Randy Schachter received her undergraduate degree from UCLE with a major in psychology. She then went to New York College of Osteopathic Medicine. She completed a residency in general psychiatry and then a fellowship within child and adolescent psychiatry. In 2011, she created her own full-time private practice after years of working for a hospital system. She believes in a holistic approach to medicine and the importance of treating the mind and the body to promote wellness. She leverages her talents in stress management with CBT training, mindfulness training, and combines that with creating art, facilitating connections, and all accompanied by a farm-to-table preservative-free delicacies enjoy our conversation. All right, Randy, thank you for being here with me today. You're welcome. Hi. Um, First off, I want to, I love that um, you were a major in psychology, as was I, and I'm also a DO. So I love that um, those things, the commonalities that we have. Um, So tell me about what comes up for you when we think about imposter syndrome.
1: So for me, it is the concept of if I'm sitting in a room with a lot of really smart people that I know and respect, where do I fit in among them? And so, mm-hmm. what I eventually realize is that I fit in if I open my mouth and share what I know, because I realize at some point that I know what many of them know. Sometimes I know more about something or than another. And so, what really, for me, imposter syndrome is, is that every so often I start to have a difficult patient or not know what's happening and wonder, is it something about my lack of knowledge? So I remember one doctor when I was in training that was a mentor that said to me, you will not find something if you have not learned what you're supposed to be looking for. So if there's some rare disease out there that I haven't been exposed to, then I'm not going to know that that person might have this zebra, right? It's Um, and so for me practicing medicine, I want to know what's common, but I also want to know what's rare because when, when I, as a subspecialist, I'm supposed to know the rare and the common, the common are treated by the pediatricians and the primary care doctors. And then when it gets complicated, that's when they come to me. Mm -hmm. And it may be that there's a mixed bag of things that it's not just psychological, that there's some medical component that's not being addressed that's contributing to the psychological. So one of the things that I've done over time is that when I go, I, I take conference, I go to conferences and I try to go to ones where I feel like I know stuff, but I could know more and I'm not sure. And I try to listen and imagine what I would say would be the answer to some of the topics that they're talking about. And in that process, it reassures me, I really do know what I'm talking about. There's no brand new articles that came out in research that I've missed that are exposing or sharing something new. And so that really helps me undo that imposter that I I belong in that room with those smart people, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think the, the thing that I love that you mentioned right off the bat is that like medicine's supposed to be hard sometimes. And I think that many physicians think that if it's hard, that they're not smart enough. When in fact, like we're doctors, <laughs> like sometimes it's hard and it doesn't mean that we don't know enough or that we're not smart enough. It just means that sometimes it's hard and that's okay.
1: I agree. So what I, I, teach my kids is that sometimes the more you know, the less you know. Like Mm -hmm. the more we know about things, the more we realize how much we don't know. And that's something that I struggle with sometimes to tell my patients that here are the medicines that we have. They don't work very well because we really don't know enough about the mind. It's kind of a black box. I can't autopsy your brain while you're alive to Mm -hmm. say, oh, this is the right drug that's going to work for those synapses. We need to use it trial and error. And so sometimes I tell myself I should know the answers. And then other times I tell myself, no one knows the answers. Mm -hmm. a great example is I have my daughter has epilepsy. And um, she has a wonderful neurologist in town. And of course, when I found out that she had epilepsy, I'm reading tons of things more so than I would normally as a psychiatrist to try to understand it better so that I can better take care of her. And so then we at some point decide, okay, we're gonna bring her to New York to take her to the doctor at NYU that's like the guru that is the epileptologist of epileptologists. And so we flew to New York and thankfully my family lives there. So it wasn't a huge expense. And we um, stayed in the hospital for a few days and they had this ambulatory EEG and we did all this workup. And what I learned was that whatever we knew, we knew. There was nothing else more that medicine is an art and it's a practice. But it is a science, but we don't have everything. And so we know what we know, and this med was doing an okay job, and hopefully she'll grow out of it, and here's where we are. So even the best of the best don't always have all the answers.
0: And that – Right. We're we're still – the best of the best is still a human being. Correct. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so this concept of growth mindset that – you know, and you mentioned like I go to conferences because I don't know everything. And this recognition that despite the fact that I know a lot, there's always more, I can always get better. And that doesn't mean that I'm not good enough now. It just means that there's always room for improvement.
1: And sometimes when I'm sitting at the conference and the person that's on the podium is the expert, I I remember recently I went to a conference and there was this woman on the podium and as the expert, and there was a woman sitting next to me that I knew a little bit. And so I kept answering the question like the person would pose a question I would answer it before she did and I actually knew more than the person that was actually up there as the expert and that was like the reassuring piece that not only do you know what you know but sometimes you may know more than someone who's actually standing up there you could be standing up there why aren't you I think it was about uh The topic was about the LGBTQ community, which obviously as Mm -hmm. trans becomes more of a prominent issue in society. There are things that we, and I was so lucky to have trained with people who were at the forefront of that years beyond. And so I was just very reassuring. So the conferences teach me more, but they also reassure me that Mm -hmm. I know things that I am in the right place.
0: Yeah. And do you think it took, practice to allow that recognition that, yes, I do belong here. And I did know that instead of, I think for many, um, you know, maybe doctors in training or early career physicians, they think that it's all fluke, like, oh, everyone knows that that's easy. Like, do you think that that took some practice? Of course,
1: And I think that sometimes it wavers. And so then I need to do whatever I need to do to make that reassurance. If I'm trying to take a leap in my practice or world. So one of the niches that I have become more and more passionate about in the past couple of years is women physicians, stress and burnout. Like I I can empathize with that as a human being and as a professional. So I'm board certified in child, adolescent and general psychiatry, but I'm also um, I treat women and children. And so over the years, what I've watched is I've watched my friends and my colleagues try to be perfect all of the time and do everything the best that they can. And they're exhausted. They're running a race, they're comparing to others, and they're just trying so hard. And I know I succumb to it at times too. And then I get a life coach and I take stock in my family, or I revamp my world to kind of manage that. And so um, th- I don't know where we started, but I know that there was a reason that I brought this up. Um, but so I what I see is that lots of us struggle with the ebb and flow of how do we belong where we are? Are we good enough? And and good enough is good. Right.
0: Right. And good enough is is guaranteed like you're all like that's what you already are right and so many of us and I think you know unfortunately it has to do with the medical training like it's just kind of sewn into us like someday you'll be good enough it's it's we forget that it's the other aspect of the fact that we already are at our core enough and it's just about becoming the best version of physician that we can be
1: and it's an evolving process yeah static
0: yeah. And I think you brought up a good point there too, about, you know, our life is, there are phases and seasons, if you will, of our lives. And I think it's important for us to, you know, take stock in the fact that what worked for us, you know, three to five years ago, maybe doesn't anymore. And giving that permission to ourselves that Agreed. this doesn't work for me anymore. right? Something's got to give. Agree a hundred percent.
1: And so, so I started out as a psych major. And when I was, deciding do I wanna go for a PhD or do I wanna do medicine? the piece that made me choose medicine was that I wanted more tools. I wanted to be able to help people with as much capacity or knowledge as I could acquire. And if I went the PhD route, although I would learn psychological testing and other pieces that wasn't the therapy, that was the understanding, but not the therapeutic aspect. Mm-hmm. And with medicine, it gave me both. It gave me the ability to do therapy and to practice medicine. And ever since then, any tools that I could learn to either better
0: myself or help my patients, I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And you did mention life coaching, and I'm a life coach, and I just think coaching is um, yeah. every physician needs like at least three life coaches, in my opinion. <laughs> so, a personal and, one, a professional yeah, exactly, one. Exactly, exactly. Right. So, what do you? And I people ask this all the time, and I I would love to hear your your viewpoint as a psychiatrist because I think that therapy and coaching. You need both in your life, I think, depending on the circumstances, but how do you delineate like, this is what my coach is for. This is what my therapist is for. So I think that with therapy, we're exploring
1: our negative selves in the sense of, um, if you're doing a psychodynamic approach, of course, it's within the history of your dynamics with the family and the people that you've interacted. If we're doing a cognitive behavioral approach, a lot of coaching is actually Mm complementary to But when we're treating from a psychiatric model or psychological model, there's a, uh, a disorder or a difficulty or a conflict that you're trying to find resolution for to kind of get to a good place. Whereas I think that with coaching, sometimes it's taking these positive thought mindset skills and applying them towards specific goals that you're trying to achieve. Um, and but I think that there's a lot of overlap and it really depends on who your therapist is. If you have a therapist that's CBT and positive psychology focused, their approach will be extremely similar to um, the coaching models, at least the ones that I've been exposed to. So if you think about things that like, these are your facts, these are your thoughts, these are your feelings, these are your behaviors, that's a coaching approach, but it's really a CBT approach with a slightly different wording format. Right. And so it depends on the style of therapy that you're doing as to whether it's closer or farther. And so I think that a, a therapist is trained hopefully to be able to parcel which piece is appropriate for the type of issue that you have, whereas a coach's mindset is you guys are working on a specific goal and it's kind of focused with that style. Yeah. So, you know, most therapists today Maybe psychodynamically minded, but are also trained in CBT or DBT or trauma-focused based therapy. There are other things that they're also able to, and they'll adjust and apply accordingly
0: based on what's happening. Yeah, I love that. That's a perfect explanation. Thank you. You're welcome. So, as you were talking, I was th- I wanted to bring up this because I think it's so important, and I think why. Um, you know, therapy, you know, people are more willing to talk about therapy or psych and seeing a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a therapist or a counselor or any, anything that has to do with mental health, but also with life coaching kind of taking off. Um, I think it's it, the recognition. And I mean, I'd love for you to talk about this thought too, is that we, that used to be historically that you either had a brain that was positive all the time and thought you were the and had gave, gave you thoughts that were positive and perfect, or you were not normal. And I think what coaching does and what talking about therapy does is it normalizes the fact that the human brain is usually negative, like the default mode is negative. And all those thoughts of imposter syndrome and and, and inner critic are just kind of like normal. And for whatever reason, some of us have the volume turned up louder than others, but it's having those thoughts isn't abnormal. It's, it's There's believing house. them that is. And I think that How much value or
1: attention. Yes. You pay? So if we think about like from an OCD concept, right, a thought comes in and everybody has these like little brink flip thoughts. Like what if I dropped this? But mm-hmm. then you're like, Oh, big deal. Whereas somebody with OCD is like, Oh my God, if I drop this, I could drop this. This is something I'm going to drop. I better not drop it. Let me move this. Let me fix this. Oh wait. I don't know if it's close enough to the edge. And they kind of keep refocusing on it. And there's a loop, right? Mm -hmm. So that same concept with positive or negative thoughts, some people are able to have the thought run through their mind and they give it a second or five seconds of thought. And then the other parts of their body and mind kind of negate it, refute it and shut it down. So other people, it's as if it resonates and it ruminates and it circles and circles and it builds momentum like a loop. Mm -hmm. and so really the goal of coaching and the goal of therapy is to help figure out how to challenge the loop and stop you from getting on the wheel and not being able to get off, and so I think that from a coaching perspective, it's done A, by example, because clearly many of the coaches are coaches because they wanted to be coached themselves at some point, and the same is true for psychiatry and psychologists. Many have either witnessed other people in their world struggle or themselves have struggled and found yeah. it, and that's why they go into it. But with therapy and coaching, you learn to change that mindset, how to turn off those negatives, and if they're louder and resonate, how to challenge them, because the likelihood is that they're not true.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how often is it useful to, because I really love this, you know, because obviously we, we have thoughts in our brain, but they create physical symptoms in our body. So how is it, how important is it to, or how helpful maybe, is it to focus instead on like less on the, what's the thought loop and more on the feeling in my body and how can I change that physiology in order to kind of work backwards? So I think it's a combination of both, right? So if you can,
1: so like a lot of people when they're feeling anxious or upset, one of the things that they notice that it's really hard for them to breathe. But what they didn't pay attention to was that 10 or 15 seconds before that realization was that they were basically gasping and not fully emptying their air. Mm-hmm. And so if you take that first, instead of taking, a, trying to take a deep breath, the first step is really to try to take an exhale and empty whatever you my yeah. like feeling is and just go. And then what you realize is that that deep breath can happen. And so if you can physiologically shift that, right? There is an autonomic nervous system. You have parasympathetic, sympathetic. One is your fight or flight. The other one is your rest and restore. In your body or sensors, if I can breathe from my belly and not my chest, I can invoke my rest and restore system. If I breathe shallowly and rapidly, I'm using my chest and invoking my fight or flight. So being aware of what's physically happening and then trying to shift the way we feel in our body absolutely makes a difference. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And how important, how important have you found in your work and, and just in general, it, it is that normalizing these, these negative thoughts or sometimes these thought loops has that for people and like, and especially for women, I think where women are so hard on ourselves, normalizing that they that there's really, you know, for the most part, there's nothing wrong with them, quote unquote, it's just kind of decreasing the emphasis and the value they put on them. How does that, is that sometimes enough? I,
1: hugely important because we're human beings and we believe in a societal community and to Mm -hmm. feel like you're not alone and that you're not the only person has a huge benefit. So when we think about stress and anxiety from like a mid to high level of function, the capacity to switch and do that is decent. When we get to like that depressed and hopeless place we feel like we're alone even when we're not. And so we need to be able to bridge that gap. And in that situation, it's either therapy or medicine. Coaching alone may not be the end-all, be-all because we're at a place where seeing that we're not alone, even if we're told we're not alone, is not realized. It's Sort of like when you sit alone with a group of people and you're still feeling lonely. That's a different take mm-hmm. than yeah. when you're with a group of people and you're wondering, do they, can I... If I say, will I fit in kind of a deal? Um, so we are, as humans, we are a community-based village focused, where it takes a village to build to raise a child. So we having the group mentality that we all have these experiences really helps with the negative talk.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I found that myself as well. So I'm going to just kind of throw a curveball here. I'm feeling called... Um, to bring up the topic of physician suicide. um, Because I think that it's it doesn't take much, maybe for some physicians who are struggling with self doubt, or maybe have had a complication. And um, what we know for physicians is that the risk of suicide is um, high. And I think we've had a lot of recent Yeah. And we've had some recent, um, fortunately recent, um, physicians die by suicide. So I'd like to end here with a few moments, if you don't mind just kind of talking about it, or if someone is struggling, um, the best thing we can do, um, for them, or if, if they're the person struggling, like, some is anything, anything that maybe a listener might benefit from hearing. So
1: COVID brought a lot of stress and strain onto physicians, but it did bring out a couple of silver linings.
0: And one of them is this
1: group called the physician support line. I'm not sure if you're with us, basically an anonymous. And I sometimes um, am on that system. Mm -hmm. but I haven't lately because sometimes when I'm busy, I choose to refrain from my volunteer work to kind of focus. And then sometimes when I'm not, I assist. So setting safe boundaries and limits for myself. But there's a huge, lovely group of doctors that are available that you can call and it's anonymous and they can help connect you with resources that you need. And part of the dilemma with, I think, why there's such a high suicide rate is that we are bred to believe that we can achieve perfection, mm-hmm. that we are above in so many ways the general world. And when it comes to mel- mental illness, it doesn't have an above. We, right. And when we work the out, so what it what increases the risk of a depressive episode? Problems with sleeping, high stress lifestyle, uh, very difficult situation that you can't navigate. When I think about EHRs and I think about corporate medicine, which I'm not in anymore, thank God. I think about all of the things that make it, that you feel powerless and Mm -hmm. hopeless at times. And then you worry about the repercussions that if you seek treatment and then you want to renew your medical license, you have to write something down. Mm -hmm. But the beauty of things that with COVID is one is that physician support line thing happened. But also over the past, I don't know, five to 10 years, many states, they're removing the disclaimer of asking about whether you've been in treatment. So North Carolina, for one, does not ask. They just ask that you assure that if you need a treatment, you're going to get it, as opposed to please list any Mm -hmm. treatment that you've ever had, Mm -hmm. where it doesn't even bear necessity. It's not like you've impaired Just because I went to see a doctor because I have anxiety or I have ADHD doesn't mean I'm impaired in function. I'm getting the treatment I need so I can function. Um, And so, if we can change that stigma to recognize that it's not punitive um, and there's anonymous ways to get treatments that there's a liaison to the medical board here in my state where you can, if you're a substance use issues or anything, you can go and they will help you with resources as well to prevent you ever getting reported to the board. Mm. So lots of, so getting help is really the first step. Accepting that we're not perfect is a really hard thing, but it's very important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for mentioning that physician support line. And I can put a link to that in the episode details sure. as well. Well, Randy, thank you so much. Do you mind um, leaving my, uh, the guests with where they can find you if they want to learn more about you or anything like that?
1: Sure. So if you, so for psychiatric issues, my, my website is silverpsychiatric.com. and then for the program that I do for women physicians Um, So I'm a potter and I do medicine. Pottery is one of the ways that I manage my stress. Mm -hmm. So I have a a CME program for local women doctors where they can come and learn pottery, eat yummy farm to table food because I love to cook too. And we work on mindfulness skills and create a community. And that cohesion, I think, helps us get through the day. And so that you can reach me at silverspaces.org if you want to know more about that.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Randy. It was great talking to you.
1: You too. Have a good night.